Now, when I've been reading through the scriptures, if you've been reading through the scriptures, to think in terms of where we're at at the moment, you can quickly see that living in some sort of restrictions was nothing new to the saints of old. Whether it be in the days of Moses when they were slaves in Egypt, whether it be in the time of the apostles as they went forth to proclaim the gospel, whether you look in church history at the reformers when they broke away from institutionalized religion, even to today with the persecuted church, the capacity, regardless of the context, the capacity and the opportunity to grow and to develop and to mature as followers of Jesus Christ has always been present and always been available regardless of the restrictions that people encountered. In talking with my wife this past week, she made a comment and just said, you know, the early church didn't really have any church buildings, so which is a funny way or another roundabout way of saying that there is no reason why we today, being in a first world country, having these technological advances available to us, having access to so many spiritual resources online or even just within our libraries at home, having the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and, and, and worship and meditation by the Holy Spirit. With all of these things made available to us, there is no reason why we cannot, even in our current situation, cannot but still grow. There's no reason why we can't continue to develop and deepen our relationship with the Lord Jesus. Last year, at the beginning of this, what I like to call pandemic adventure, there was a phrase that was used March last year that sort of best describes our context now as the church. And I think we would do well to take heed of it now. Uh, the context, oh, sorry, the phrase is, although the context may change, our call remains the same. That while the context may change, our call remains the same. That remained true of, say, Richard Wormbrand, who, whilst in Romania, when it came under Russian rule and becoming a Christian, was then deemed as illegal. His context changed, but his call remained the same. It remained true for Martin Luther, who broke away from the institutionalized religion of the Catholic Church in his day, and then he, through faith alone, by grace alone, with scripture alone, for the glory of God alone, committed himself to the person of Christ. His context changed, but his call remained the same. When you read the likes of the apostles who, as they spread out, all were martyred save one, John, who died of old age, as they went out and preached the gospel to the known world, each of their contexts changed, but the call remained the same. Thus for us, in our current context, these lockdowns, although not ideal, 
what can we do within our context that has now changed and in some cases tightened, what can we do to best utilize the issues facing us now, which in all honesty could be a heck of a lot worse. How can we utilize this now so that we can be faithful to our calling as the sons and daughters of God? So while well, last week we looked at living above anxiety, I just thought it appropriate that this morning we look at living under restrictions. The epitome of which is demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul, who was restricted to the most extreme of levels. So if you have your Bible open, once again, if it's not already there, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's open a word of prayer and we're going to look at what the Word of God has to share with us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and thank you. We thank you with our current situation, we can still meet in this manner. We thank you even with the restrictions that are placed upon us that we can still talk with you. We can still bear our souls before you. We can still cry out to you for help in time of need. We thank you that in all these trials, you are bringing about within us a vessel and a treasure that is persevering and enduring even to eternity. We ask this morning that you will teach us by your spirit, that you will teach us your word, and that you will help us to see this whole circumstance, our situation from your perspective and not our own. Give us your ability, your eyes to see now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, 1 Timothy chapter 6 was written while Paul was actually in prison, while he was facing restrictions, and he gives just a whole bunch of advice to Timothy as Timothy was a young leader within the church. Now, in this particular passage I want to look at today from verses 11 to 16 of chapter 6, there are three charges I want us to draw away from. There are three charges that I want us to think about how we can apply these three things to our lives and in our context. These three charges are to flee from all this, to fight the good fight, and to keep his commands. Those are the three charges we're going to look at this morning. The first one, flee from all this. The Bible verse says in verse 11, we read, But you, man and daughter or woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Now, if you read chapter 6 from verses 3 to 10, Paul makes reference to a couple of things that Timothy has to be wary of as a leader. But I look at that and think, well, it's something that all of us as Christians need to be wary of as followers of Jesus Christ. And these are these two things. One, false teaching in verses 3 to 5. For example, in verses 3 and 4, he says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. 
He says, be aware of false teachers. The second thing he says to be aware of is that of the love of money or financial, financial gain in the negative sense. There's nothing wrong with making money, but financial gain in the negative sense. And it's one of those verses we all know in verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I think Paul refers to these two specifically because these two things, that of false teaching and financial gain or the love of money, is rooted within a proud and selfish heart. They are rooted within a proud and and sinful heart that then grows into a mentality and an attitude that we have as people that seeks to find its acceptance in the eyes of the world. That's why I think he refers to those two things, false teaching and the love of money. False teaching that, that proclaims a message where sin is never confronted, where sin is never judged by a holy God. False teaching where repentance is never required by us as people before a holy God or, or where repentance is, is played down. It is where forgiveness and salvation can be earned by trying harder. That's that's a sort of false teaching that goes around. And he says, be careful of such things because it, it tickles the ears. It makes people feel good. Be aware of such things to look for the approval and the recognition of man by teaching things that are contrary to the word of God. And when you look at the love of money, that of financial gain, it is where the mighty dollar is God. It is where one's status is connected to how much one possesses. It's where one's goals revolve solely around the here and now, around the temporal and security and what you gain here for now and will not look anything beyond that. It's why these four words of instruction are so important to us as the people of God. Flee from all this. Flee from the teaching of easy believism. Flee from the teaching that takes Christ out of Christian, that takes Christ out of the church. Flee from the teaching that belittles holiness or mocks righteousness or promotes tradition over biblical truth. Flee from those priorities of earthly wealth, of earthly values. Flee from those values of worldly entertainments. Flee from the those things that, that, that are just pleasurable, the, the pleasures of worldly delights. We are, to, we are to, like Daniel and his three friends, refuse to partake of the king's delicacies in order to partake of that which is, well, worthwhile, that which is nutritious, that which is beneficial, that sustenance to our bodies. If you read Daniel chapter one, you'll find that. See, in like manner, we are to refuse or we are to flee from all those things that promote the ideals of this world. I mean, what does one John chapter two, verse 16 say? It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life is not of a father, it is of the world. We are to flee such things. We are to flee from the mentalities of a system that is at enmity with God. It says in Romans 8, 8, 7, I think it is, it says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. 
And it also diminishes our vision. It limits our faith in Christ. James 4.4, I believe it is, it says that if you're a friend of the world or of the world system, then you're, not, then you're an enemy of God. And we are to rather feed on that which is worthwhile, to feed on that which lasts to eternity, that is nutritious as it feeds our souls, that is beneficial as it deepens our knowledge of Jesus. So for us living in restrictions, we have to begin by firstly fleeing from all these things. To go, or sorry, to flee from all those things that increase our reliance upon our own understanding instead of our, our reliance upon him. To flee from those things that raise doubts within our minds. To flee from those things that get our eyes off Jesus. And that is done by firstly, yes, fleeing from, but also where you flee to. We flee from, yes, but it's where we go to. For example, when I flee here, I don't want to flee. When I leave here, I'm going to go home. I'm fleeing the church building to go home. And if I flee here, go out, drive around, eventually somebody's going to ask, what are you doing? You've been driving around the block over and over again. What are you doing? It's just going somewhere from here to somewhere else. And so to heed these four words of of fleeing from something, it also means we are to go after something else. And you read in the verse, what we're fleeing to is of absolute importance, just as it is to go away from it. To go away from these things, the love of money and false teaching, and to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness, to pursue faith, pursue love, to pursue endurance and to pursue gentleness. To pursue, just like fleeing, is with specific intent. To go after something. Uh, now, for example, I had the blessing of, of going to Brad and Cass's wedding. And Brad and his speech, that dude, he pursued. He was a patient pursuant of the one who was the apple of his eye. And he got it. But he pursued. That, okay, that, that was with specific intent. He was like, yeah, I'm going to chase that woman down. And he chased her down. And, that, and that's not a bad thing. Not, not, no, no stalking or anything like that. There was nothing, it was not, nothing bad. But I'm saying that, that's what it is. Now, perhaps, perhaps we'd be in, a better, in better shape spiritually, maybe even physically in this lockdown time, if we chose to flee from those things that drag us down, to flee from those things that are not beneficial and to chase after something else. Fleeing works. It worked for Joseph when he ran away from temptation, the temptation of Potiphar's wife. Fleeing, we're told, or to avoid something, like we're told in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14, to actually avoid things, to don't even go by them and to pass away. Uh, Paul tells Timothy in, in 2 Timothy 2.22, he says we're to flee the evil desires of youth. We are to flee those things, but also to choose then to go somewhere else, to choose to put on the armor of God that we're told of in, in Ephesians chapter 6. To choose to wield the weapons of our warfare that we're told about in Corinthians, that of prayer, that of the word, that of fellowship, that of fasting, that, that of worship, that of meditation, that, that we are to 
follow those things, to pursue after those things in the spirit, because those things give us a better perspective of life, a better perspective of our situation. A few weeks ago, Jono mentioned something about watching the news and being consumed with all the announcements of the current events that are taking place. He actually made mention of this. Maybe we need to actually flee from those things. It's not saying be ignorant. It's not saying don't keep up to date with things, but don't allow what the world provides, the news the world provides about the current situation to be the determining factor of where you stand with God. Don't allow the world to determine whether you're going to stand faithful or not. That's why we are to flee from all this. Not only to free from all this, because once we move away from such things and get our eyes off what the world's promoting and onto the person of Jesus Christ, then we are better prepared to what? Our second point, we are better prepared to fight the good fight. We are better prepared. In verse 12, we read this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. To fight the good fight. Now, when I played sport competitively, one of the best consolations to losing a game, even though you lose, was knowing that you gave it your all. Was knowing that you did your best. The result of a win or a loss was secondary. Now, look, I would have liked to have won, but I lost. But I never walked away from those sorts of games thinking to myself, if only. I never walked away from such games looking at such opportunities like I should have done. Or I let this opportunity slip. When you have those sorts of games, knowing that you gave your all and you were beaten, you walk away with no regrets. There was a young guy at, uh, at, at high school, and he had this crush on this girl. I won't give you names, but he had this crush on this girl. True story. And he, had this, he crashed on this girl from year, I think about year eight, all the way through to year 12. In year 12, he comes up to me and he says, Joe, I really like this girl. I'm going to tell her how I feel. Now, Robin Hood, the, the, Walt Disney's Robin Hood, there's one line which I've always remembered. And I, and I gave him this line. It said, faint hearts never won fair ladies. Faint hearts never won fair ladies. And so he said, he goes, I, I'm going to go do it. I may never see her again. I want to let her know how I feel and how I've always felt. So he went to this girl and he just let it rip. He just went and he just said, this is how I feel about you. I've always felt you like this way. Boom, 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 boom. And he got crushed. She, in a polite way, in a loving way, she just said, no, no. I've, and, and, and she, but when the guy came back to me, he said, Joe, I, I did it. I said, what happened? Oh, she rejected me big time. And she says, and how you feel? And he goes, well, I'm a bit upset, but now I know. I said, what do you mean? Now I know how she feels. Now I know. I, I won't walk away and think next year, if only I should have said that. I would never have known unless I've told her, now I know. Now, you might sit there and think, well, what's this got to do with fighting the good fight? It's about us having no regrets in this opportunity we have right now. 
It's about us making the most of this time that God has blessed us with to spend time in his word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time with our families, to spend time stepping out and getting in contact with each other. You see, these were Paul's words at the close of 2 Timothy, Timothy, the letter that he gives. Okay, And he could say with a clear conscience at the end of 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. It was a life without regret. It was a life that he could look back on with a clear conscience because he looked at his relationship with the Lord and said, I have done all that you have asked of me. You see, that line in 2 Timothy is the fulfillment of this exhortation that he gives to Timothy to fight the good fight. And and Paul was in the most extreme case of restrictions, of lockdown restrictions. So the question is this, how does one fight the good fight of faith, especially in the midst of being restricted? How did Paul do it? How could he still influence people to such an extent that while he was still locked up in chains, he has an effect on the lives that he connects with? How could he do that? There was no email. There was no telephones. There was no internet. He had a pen. He had a paper. He had prayer. He had the faithfulness of God that he relied on to have his purposes complete in the lives of his people. That's what he did. And so you read this. The first is in this verse. He says, what he recommends to Timothy is firstly this. He says, embrace life in Christ. Here's where it starts. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of it. Embrace it. For in taking hold of eternal life, which according to Jesus in, in John 17, 3, is knowing God and believing in him whom he has sent, then you are committing yourself to willingly adhere to all that you have been made in Christ Two, eternal life, once again, is not a thing to possess. It's a person to know. And so he says, embrace eternal life. Embrace Christ. And everything that is incorporated in that embrace, you follow through on. I'd say this is what Paul is seeking to reiterate when he talks about being a new creation in Christ. Embrace it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Embrace the fact that you are a new creation, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Embrace that. Embrace that you are a citizen of heaven governed by the values of the kingdom of God and not of this world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says that we are citizens of heaven and that we belong to the household of God. Well, embrace that because that's who you've been made in Christ. Embrace the fact that you are now a royal priesthood. Embrace the fact that you are a chosen generation. Embrace that you are a holy nation. Embrace the fact that you are a people belonging to God in 1 Peter 2 9. Embrace those things. Embrace that you are accepted in the beloved to the praise of his glory and grace, Ephesians 1 6. Embrace that because when that is understood and embraced, then you'll find that all that comes with it is something that you want to take on. What I mean by that is this. Um, you, 
Once again, I'm using Brad and Cass because they're the most recent wedding to take place. When they committed themselves before God and before all the witnesses there attending their wedding, they were embracing their role as husband and wife. And they were willing to do away with all the things that they held in their single status and embrace what is involved as a married couple. For Brad as a husband, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. For Cass as wife, to submit herself to her own husband as unto the Lord. That's something that they are willing to embrace. If we have been made a new creation in Christ, called to walk in the newness of life, that are now part of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, if we are now accepted in the beloved, then we are willing to commit and embrace all that comes with that to take hold of that life, to take hold of that identity, to take hold of, for want of a better word, that responsibility that we have been entrusted as the children of God. To take hold of life, to embrace who we are in Christ means that we are willing to discipline our lives in line with His heart and His will to discipline our lives, to, to, to bring our lives in alignment with His desires. It means that we are choosing with, with deliberate intent to flee from all those things that are not of God, to flee from all those things and to pursue after those things that are beneficial to our spiritual lives, that we are willing to respond to the Lord's conviction in our hearts. And, and repent of those things that are a hindrance to us. That when we, we look in response to that repentance, when we, response, sorry, when we respond in repentance, that we have the courage to do away with such things, regardless of the cost, because we want to cherish this relationship we have with Jesus Christ. This is what it means then. If we are to fight the good fight, then we fight the good fight on God's terms, in God's manner, in God's way, because we can't do that. We're too limited. So instead, He's given us the means by which that can be fought successfully. He's given us the avenues by which we can be victorious in the battles that we face. That's what it means to fight the good fight. To have no regrets because we are following what God has entrusted us. For example, there's a bunch of guys at the church, um, and I've been invited to the group too. And, and every week, this is, what, this is how they fight the good fight. This is part of how they fight the good fight. And they get together, on, on the, and, and they play games. They play games. They do online games. They, I, I see someone in the chat and says, look, I'm going to be at this time. Boom, boom, boom. And a whole bunch of people get online, and they play games together. They can't be there in person. So what do they do? Well, in my context, even though my context has changed, the call to fellowship with one another, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that can be met online. And so they make a point of contacting each other and playing games together, enjoying each other, having a laugh, enjoying the company of the saints. That's how they fight the good fight. Uncle Fred, they're the WhatsApp group with the study with Uncle Eugene's cell group. They fight the good fight. They're continually keeping each other updated with things that are going on in their lives. Uncle Fred the other day posted this wonderful page of, of just biblical truths to encourage this particular group. And I thought, that's awesome. That's how he fights the good fight. 
People might send me a message just to let me know that I'm being prayed for. That's how they fight the good fight. People might give someone else a phone call because they can't text, but they give me a phone call. That's how they fight the good fight. Our context has changed, but the call remains the same. We are still in a spiritual warfare. We're still in a battle. The souls of the church, the souls of the lost are still being fought over. And even though we are not one-to-one in person, we can still fight the good fight. Whether it be by a pen and a paper, whether it be a text on the phone, whether it be an email sent, whether it be a letter, whatever it might be, that's how we can fight the good fight. We can still influence our children. We can still influence our parents. We can still influence our siblings. That's how we fight the good fight. We can still pray. We can still be on our knees and in prayer. I, look, I really don't like this lockdown. And at some times I've just felt lethargic. And the best way, the best way that I think for me that such lethargy has been overcome is just when I've sat down and prayed and just been honest with God. That's how you fight the good fight. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not physical. They are not physical, but we, by the grace of God, are able to continue to fight and to fight well. Richard Foster, and I've, I've used this, his, his book, I'm reading his book at the moment, which I found really beneficial. But I want, to, I want you to do this. He, he makes this observation regarding our inability to utilize effectively what God has given us. This is what he says. Listen carefully. Quote, we simply do not know how to go about exploring the inward life. This has not always been true. In the first century and earlier, it was not necessary to give instructions on how to do the disciplines of the spiritual life. The Bible called people to such disciplines as fasting, prayer, worship, and celebration, but gave almost no instruction about how to do them. The reason is easy to see. Those disciplines were so frequently practiced and such a part of the general culture that the how-to was common knowledge. Fasting, for example, was so common that no one had to ask what to eat before a fast or how to break a fast or how to avoid dizziness while fasting. Everyone already knew. This is not true of our generation. There is an abysmal ignorance of the most simple and practical aspects of nearly all the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines that we maybe have to re-familiarize ourselves with familiarize ourselves with what it means to read the Bible. Why? Because that's how we can fight the good fight. About how we pray, because that's how we can fight the good fight. About worship and what worship really is, because that's how we fight the good fight. About evangelism and telling other people about Jesus, because that's how we can fight the good fight. There's so many aspects of our own spiritual lives that we need to re-familiarize ourselves with because when we flee from all this and pursue after those things of righteousness and godliness, we are then able to fight the good fight even when our context changes. We can still fight and fight well. That first part is about embracing Christ, about taking hold of him. But then it continues on to the third point, which is this, to keep his command or to keep this command. If you read at the end of verse 13 and verse 14, we read this. I charge you 
to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. As simplistic as that sounds, what that means is this, obedience. As simple as that sounds, obedience. This is the charge to Timothy, not just to obey that of fighting the good fight and that of embracing new life in Christ, but also to persevere in that command as well. And that's, that's the hard part, isn't it? it? You see this when you make a New Year's resolution, you'll be fine for two weeks, but it's the perseverance in that particular thing that you find it difficult in. It's a specific pointing to the running of the race with patience, as it talks about in Hebrews 12.2. It is the call to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.3. It is the persevering in the will of God that one might receive what is promised in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Because in the keeping of the command of walking obediently in his word, uh, because his commands are not burdensome, it's about walking obedient as words, it's about, it's about trusting in his lead as he prompts instead of leaning onto our own understanding and it's by us submitting willingly to his will and, and we're not supposed to be ignorant of his will. So we, that's the thing and I think that's for a lot of us as Christians, myself included, especially when you have the monotonous of how everything just is suppressing us as people, suppressing our relationships, suppressing our activity, that suppression just bears on our souls where we just become weary. We just become tired. I have, okay, it is said by, um, in Fox's Book of Martyrs that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church and that the church grows its most when there is just outright persecution. And it's true. You look at the, the churches in persecuted countries today, they grow and they continue to grow. And there's this oppression upon them that forces them to hold on to Christ, to hold on to his truth, to hold on to his word. When things aren't as confrontational, let's say like a lockdown, when things aren't as oppressive, but maybe just slightly I found, even for myself now, the difficulty it can be to actually spend quality time in the Word, to actually spend quality time reaching out to people. Why? Because the enemy is using this as a means to oppress us and the fire that we have for the things of God. That's why we have to fight the good fight. It's a charge, it's applicable, that the apathy of going through the motions becomes more comfortable. And that just getting up and doing your quiet time can become monotonous. Where the joy of knowing him and proclaiming him in your workplace has been taken away because you're not at work anymore, you're at home. Where the being bogged down of the pressures of life has now been confined to the four walls of your home. Now we have a choice. We can either fight the good fight by embracing Christ and keeping his commands, or we can continue to feed the lethargic, apathetic heart and just continue the way we are. You see, Paul 
lays out here in order to spur us on and to enthuse our souls once again is by pointing us to the example that Jesus Christ set. If you look at the verse before, it says that in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. It's by looking at the extremes that the Lord Jesus Christ went through for you. It's looking at the greatness of his love as he confessed who he was before Pilate was rejected of men and then crucified on a cross for your sin and for my sin. And through that confession, that faithful act, that following through on God's call, that's to enthuse our souls because he did that for you. He did that, not so that we could be apathetic, not so that we could go through the motions, but that we could know him genuinely. Jesus fought to stay true to the calling of his father. Jesus fought the good fight and allowing God's will to be done through him. Jesus fought the good fight so that you and I can have the opportunity to fight the good fight as well. He fought the good fight by being faithful, by being committed, and by persevering. Because after that charge, you read after this, the mere uplifting and magnifying of who he is as we have the hope in Christ and of his return. In verses 15 and 16, we see, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. You see, living under restrictions doesn't have to be a burden, nor does it have to hold us back. Living under restrictions doesn't have to be something oppressive and something that forces us into an area where we can't be bothered anymore. It doesn't have to be that. It doesn't. Living under these restrictions now, if we view this from God's perspective, it is something that he has allowed to put upon us right now to sift us and where our faith really lies. To test us and whom we are really relying upon. That's what he's allowed for this now. Do I like it? No. But I do know that he is working something in me right now to awaken my mind to what he is doing, to open my eyes to see his hand moving, to soften my heart where it'd be less of me and more of him. That's what he's doing right now. And so I look not as his word. 1 John 5, 3 says that the commands of God are not burdensome. They're not grievous. They're not there for my harm. They're there for my liberty. They're there for my strength. They're there to back me up. They're there for me to stand upon that I might live victoriously so that I am then effective in fleeing from all these things, pursuing after righteousness, fighting the good fight, embracing the person of Christ and all that is found within him and being able to live obediently keeping his commands. That's what he's allowing us. That's what it means to live under restrictions today. When Paul says in Ephesians, I am the prisoner of the Lord, that is the greatest restriction to have in all of our lives. To be captivated by his love, to be captured by his person, to be enamored by his being. That we are the prisoners of the Lord, restricted by him so that we might live for him. 
if we can but grasp that reality, then this restriction that we're going through now, this lockdown that we're experiencing, will mean nothing because I am imprisoned by the love of Jesus Christ. I pray that that is what you and I will see today. And that we will take the time to refamiliarize ourselves with the beauty of Jesus Christ, even in such a lockdown. Don't waste this time that he has given us. Don't waste this chance to not only spend time with him, but to get in contact with others. Honestly, let's fight the good fight so that when we reach the end of our journey, when we reach the end of this restriction, when we come to the end of this lockdown, we can say with confidence, without regret, exactly what Paul said, that I have run the race, that I've kept the faith, that I have fought the good fight. So with that, brothers and sisters, if you'll allow me, I will close in prayer. And I, I really pray that when you go from here this morning, when you switch this off, that you'll flee from these things and pursue after Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for what you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have life. In him we are made new creations. In him we are a citizen of heaven. In him we are, we are a people belonging to you. Thank you so much for the opportunities that you have given each one of us in our homes to meet with you, to spend time with you. And that even though our context has changed, we can still fight the good fight. We can still take hold and embrace the life of Christ. That we can still live in obedience and that we can still fight the good fight on our knees. Father, help us to truly see what you are doing in each of our lives, especially in the life of Grace Christian Church. And may we not succumb to the boredom and the apathy that the enemy whispers into our hearts. Let us not be captivated by the things of this world, but rather enamored with you as our God and as our Savior. So we ask for you to dismiss us now. Have your way in us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.